Hello and welcome to Today in Space. We're back for another episode of the All Things Space Science Podcast, and I'm your host from the East Coast, Alex G. Orfanos. And today we're going to talk about the SpaceX Axiom 2 launch, where Crew Dragon Freedom brought four astronauts to the, to the ISS. We'll talk about why that's important. We're going to talk about the mission. We're going to talk about the astronauts behind this because we've got some big firsts and uh, one of the most decorated NASA astronauts, the most decorated uh, NASA astronaut that NASA has was on this flight as a private citizen. It's the second private mission, civilian mission to the International Space Station. Axiom 1 was the first mission. So we're going to talk about that. And we're also going to talk about how the International Space Station was truly the first gateway for access to space. And for many, many years, we spent a a long time trying to just maintain consistent human presence on the International Space Station. And if you had asked me a decade ago, I probably would not have guessed that the space station could play such an integral role in handing us off to the next stage of space, where new space is going to take us, where the private partnership with NASA and other space agencies is going to bring us. When Artemis grows bigger, space stations are going to become a bigger thing, and we have the best space station we've ever built. So that's what we're going to talk about today. There's some big topics here, but let's dive right into it. So thanks for joining us. Uh, If you haven't already, follow us online, Today in Space Pod on Instagram and Twitter, Today in Space on TikTok, and you can find us over at Facebook at Today in Space Podcast. You can always email us at todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com. We want to hear from you. Send in your questions, any kind of topics you'd like us to cover, uh, and really what you're interested in right now, right? If you're watching some cool sci-fi, uh, hit us up. If if there's something in the space industry that we're not following or you think we should know about or you want us to dive in, hit us up. Uh, anywhere on social, and of course, emailing us at todayinspacepodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to share your ideas on the podcast, and you can help us shape this into something that's really awesome. So thanks for joining us. Um, Wherever you're following us, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, YouTube, uh, wherever it is, thanks for joining us. A big thank you to our sponsors, Manscaped and Caldera Lab. You can use 20% off, you can get 20% off, uh, by going to manscaped.com and calderalab.com. Use code word space. You can get 20% off. And now, let's dive in. All right, so the Axiom 2 mission took off from Florida aboard a brand new Falcon 9. It was it was nice to see a Falcon 9 without the soot uh, and a reused Dragon capsule on top, Dragon Freedom, which had recently just taken the Crew 4 mission uh, to the International Space Station, which is NASA's uh, operational missions for the space station. Axiom here is providing an extra exam, uh, an extra opportunity for people to go into space. Um, you know, the crew missions keep up NASA's continuous uh, presence on the International Space Station. We've been also starting to send astronauts from other agencies um, around the world. Uh, as part as the as part of the partnership that we have, and for this mission, we saw some firsts. We saw two Saudi astronauts were on board. 
Ali Alkarni and Rihanna Barnwani. Rihanna is the first Saudi woman to go to space, and so that's that's a big thing as far as international partnership. I mean, the ISS has shown us over the years, you know, since the space race when Russia and the U.S. were were fighting for uh, dominance in space, and and when the Apollo Soyuz mission happened, where they docked both spacecraft and you know, kind of bridge the gap of this cold war that was happening on Earth. There were Russians and Americans in space at the same time, and we're surviving together. I mean, that that example is small, but it means a lot. It's an example that people can come to some kind of an agreement, can survive together, can live through life with each other, depend no, no matter of where they came, what border they're behind on earth when you take the environment and you change it you can see that people can come together no matter where they come from so you know this saudi mission the the last time a saudi astronaut went to space was 1985 on board one of the space launch missions so it's been a very long time since there has been a saudi astronaut and for this one to have also had the first saudi woman on there is huge and also on board, there is also a, a UAE astronaut, an Emirati astronaut, Sultan Al Nayadi, uh, who is on a six-month mission on board the space station, and and that was for Crew Six, which just launched uh, recently on on March second. So there's so much going on with the International Space Station, even as it's as old as it is. You know, the ISS really is the remnants of the old space race. And, you know, back in the 90s, you know, we, we saw the, the assembly of the space station, uh, which started as an idea under President Ronald Reagan, which was originally called Freedom, apparently, uh, which is ironic because the Crew Dragon that is there right now docked at the Harmony module is also called Freedom. Regardless, like we said, the ISS is a huge bastion for international partnership and an example of true humanity that we desperately need here back on Earth. And to add to the amazing things that are happening with this Axiom 2 mission, you know, on board is, like we said, one of the most decorated NASA astronauts of all time, Peggy Whitson, is on board. We've talked about Peggy Whitson in, in our time here on the podcast covering space station um, expeditions uh, in the early days when really it felt like nobody was paying attention to the continued presence on the space station, even though they've been there all these years. Um, Peggy Whitson has been around for uh, a while. She's a storied astronaut. She's nicknamed the Space Ninja, and she's definitely a huge influence for women in STEM. I mean, she's she's at the top of her game, and now in her retirement as a NASA astronaut, uh, she's still going to space. And she holds uh, a few very impressive records. So she was the first female commander of the International Space Station. She's also spent more time spacewalking than any other human. Um, but she's also the holder of NASA's record of the most cumulative 
time and space, 665 days in space. And, you know, looking at this chart from NASA from April 20th of last year, 2022, she held that lead um, by, let's do some quick math here, 665 by 534. So basically 131 days she has on Jeff Williams, who is the astronaut right behind her in the most cumulative days in space. And now she's going to spend eight days on the space station to add to her record. Now, I don't know if there's going to be some stipulation that it wasn't as a NASA astronaut, but regardless, Peggy Whitson is dominating time in space. And it's a busy time. You know, the Axiom missions add a new flair to space station activities. You know, right now with the four that just joined, there will be 11 people in space for the next eight days. Now, we're recording this on May 22nd, uh, which was the day that they actually docked. So the entire mission is 10 days. They launched on Sunday, May 21st, which uh, then the next day um, they ended up docking. So now there's eight days on station and then another day to return home. They're doing a lot of different missions. One of the missions, uh, one of the um, experiments that are going to be running on board is very interesting because it's going to help gather biodata for astronauts that are spending time up there. And it's it's interesting to see how many different solutions can make things in space better, but also help us get good data, right? Because that's one of the challenges of moving away from the extreme stringency and high detail oriented nature of NASA and how they would like to do things. When you open this up to a future where space stations will become commercial here soon to replace the retiring ISS, we'll want more space stations here around Earth for people to go on there, experience microgravity, pay for research to be done, which could potentially be cheaper than this. I mean, sending these four astronauts, I saw an estimate that basically for these four astronauts, it's $55 million apiece to send them up. Now, those folks will be spending time doing research, um, so it's not like there isn't um, things to do. You know, they're not just hanging around. But, you know, the other stuff that goes with that mission to be done, those science experiments need to be done by them. And the ISS is the only game in town for microgravity research. There's a lot of stuff from medications and, and different drugs that um, either need to be tested to see how they are able to produce in the zero-G environment. Maybe it adds some benefit to something. Um, there's also other, plenty of other things that we just barely have scratched the surface of what can zero-gravity help us with or help us achieve that being basically held down by gravity on Earth is preventing us from doing. So there is this huge economy that can come from space stations, and the timing couldn't have been any better to make the most, squeeze as much of the lemon that is the ISS um, to provide basically an opportunity to springboard into the next era where people like 
um, Vast that just got chosen uh, with SpaceX to launch the first commercial station. And because SpaceX can move fast, Vast is going to take advantage of that and beat a company like Orbital Reef that is really, it's Blue Origin's option. It's it's a partnership with Sierra Nevada Space. And, and, and another, I think Redwire is also involved. That's a big, big project. They're talking about, you know, replacing the ISS altogether. Big stations. Uh, Vast is starting small, you know, and that's that's how this, the ISS started. It was small. It was pieces put together and then built over the years. The space shuttle was a huge, I mean, it was what helped us build the ISS, right? Um, so Blue Origin has a lot of things they got to figure out. They've got to get their rockets launching payloads into space, uh, not just New Shepard. Um, but there's a lot of smart people that are working there. I, I think just like SpaceX, SpaceX has historically had Elon time, right? Elon time, I usually, for SpaceX stuff, I'll usually multiply by two whatever Elon says, and that'll probably be realistic. Uh, anything more than that, they ran into some issues. But some folks will say that times four is the true uh, gauge of the Elon factor, especially if you talk about the, the Tesla stuff. Um, but with Blue Origin, it's been hidden behind uh, Jeff Bezos's cape for so long, and seeing the developmental work that they're doing is difficult, but it also makes it so that they aren't giving deadlines and not meeting them. Um, you know, Blue Origin struggled to get their BE-4 engine out for the Vulcan. The Vulcan rocket for um, the United Launch Alliance is just rolling out to the pad for testing now. So, you know, there's... Things take time and money and effort, and, and the timing has to be right. And although Blue Origin is taking its time, the the inevitable turtle in the hair race, at a certain point, you've got to get up there. But that's not what this episode is about. This episode is to celebrate what the space station has to offer and what a space station can do for changing space for all of us. So let's dive into that. So we already talked about really what the International Space Station has already done for us as an example of humanity, right? Uh, from from out of the earthly bonds of gravity, uh, and instead in an orbiting space station going 17,500 miles per hour uh, all the time, uh, <laughs> we it was built post-Cold War. We, even into the past year where Russia invaded Ukraine, we still, we saw Russian astronauts Russian cosmonauts and NASA astronauts come together on the space station to continue to work. And I, I think that's the more relevant thing for now. We may be listening to this in the future. Things may have changed. The robots may have taken over. So maybe a robotic example, Android AI example, might be more appropriate for the future. But we're not there yet. Or at least we haven't been contacted by future me yet. So let's hope that's a good thing. The space station... It continues to offer us examples of, of how working together as humans, no matter where your background or border that doesn't even really exist when you look at it from just the altitude that the ISS is, right? It also provides in this next era, it's also the gateway 
for astronauts of all nations to send their first astronauts. You know, we we spoke a few weeks ago with Thomas Reamer of Space Hero, and what they're trying to do is create a competition, you know, a a media-based entertainment way of helping other nations and, and, and folks from any background on the planet compete to win a trip to space. And I mean, we just talked about it. If it's 55 million to go to space on Axiom, I mean, that's a big prize. I mean, we're talking, you're, you're getting the experience of a lifetime and also coming with some kind of fame uh, with Space Hero. But it's not about the fame per se as much as it is the honor that comes from a nation that doesn't have the privilege that we've had and Russia has had and China has with their own space station of having their own astronauts in space. I mean, there's a reason why we're seeing this big boom. It's because the space station is available. And luckily, NASA's international partnerships from many, many years allows them to make this kind of thing happen. So really, I think one of the biggest gifts that the space station is going to give us, other than continued human presence and the ability to keep testing things uh, in low Earth orbit, it's also a place where people from any country that is looking for hope or looking for someone to represent them going to space, I think the more and more I think about this, I think the U.S. is so used to having astronauts. Like, even if you don't follow space, you don't have the excitement that, say, the Canadians had on the Artemis II announcement, right? We don't have the excitement that I've seen my Saudi friends, Saudi space friends online have where, you know, basically for a decade, you know, since this, the last Saudi astronaut went to space, they've been waiting and hoping that someday things would change and having no prospect, right? To build a space agency equivalent of NASA for any country, never mind a country, um, that is much smaller and may not have as many resources, like, that's a lot. That's that's damn near impossible. But NASA opening up those doors, it the, the hope that springs through when someone like you goes to space is huge. And, and, and what we need more and more is people believing in something and believing in themselves, believing that they can reach a goal that's greater than they think they can achieve and and finding out where you end up when you reach for it. These types of things are the things that keep us fascinated in the future, working hard past the things that are difficult because there are always going to be things that are difficult. But knowing that that, that one of your people became an astronaut, went to space and came back to tell us the stories that person is a leader. That person is giving hope. These things are all important to us as human beings. We, we can 
get into the AI stuff and, and there's so many technical things, especially in aerospace, but it's about human beings. It's about the human experience and how we can integrate all those things together to be the best kind of humans that we are. And I think that more examples of more people from other countries having the ability to go to space is hugely, hugely important for, I think, the survival survival of humanity. I think it's really important for the psyche of, of all of us to have some kind of hope. And the fact that the U.S. and, and the fact that the private industry is in so many ways part of the major reason why this is even possible, it gives me a new hope for what new space is going to offer that really old space was limited in its ability to affect the whole world, where new space has a really, really unique ability to do that. And I am really looking forward to where this expands from and grows. And I'd love to hear what you think about this. If if you live in another country and, and you don't have any connection to, you know, if you don't have an astronaut that you can look up to, a person like you in space, you know, hit me up. Let me know where you're from. I, 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 I think this is something we can all be hopeful for here in the future. And um, we pray that, you know, folks like uh, that work at SpaceX and Blue Origin and, and all these amazing companies that are trying to help us build a space economy and, and provide the demand that's been there for so many years since the shuttle started. There is this vacuum that is now being filled with the rapid ability of reused vehicles. That has changed the whole industry and is lowering the cost of access to space to where it's 55 million right now for Axiom. If we keep developing this and getting this better, you know, we the U.S. just got a, a human-rated spacecraft since 2011. In, in 2020, let's say 2021, uh, that was the first time we had a spacecraft rated to send humans again. And look at in that short amount of time, two, three years, since the, you know, Demo 2 when, when we had Bob and Doug go to space and back. That pivotal, pivotal point, that was the middle of a pandemic. The, the boom of progress and hope that's come from that is tremendous. And I, and I hope that we all get to experience that in our own little way. And the great thing about that is the whole industry expands. There are now more and more opportunities to work in space in some fashion. So if you're even slightly interested, I highly, highly recommend that you start looking for jobs. You can obviously you know, follow us online. Let us know that you're looking for a job. We are constantly looking at job postings. So if you let us know what you're looking for and you know, become a part of the community here, we can, we can start sending you to places and, 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 and sending you different opportunities that are out there. Um, because it's possible that if, if there's one thing that we can do, that's a great, uh, <laughs> value add for anyone listening to this podcast is to help introduce you to the different jobs that are available. That's, that's part of what people of science and people of space is, right? We talk to people who are in the industry who do this. 
to show you how they got there and experience what their backgrounds were like and hear what we've had CEOs on this podcast and CTOs and, and they talk about people that they're looking to hire. You're getting an in-depth view of the inside of the space industry. So if you're new to this podcast and you're trying to get into space or you're even interested in space enough that you're like, I can work in there, keep following us. We've got a lot to share with you and go check out our people of science segments, people of space segments, and that's it, folks. We're going to end it, end it strong this week. Have a good one. Spread love, spread science. And we'll see you in the next episode. Have a good one.